Welcome to TD Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hello, my name is Charles Ree, Cowan's healthcare technology analyst, and welcome to the Cowan Future Health Podcast. Today's podcast is part of our monthly series that continues Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And in this episode, we'll discuss what's going on with telehealth, or more exactly, what's not going on with telehealth. After demonstrating successfully the ability to deliver effective care during the pandemic, with adoption rates in the 80 to 90% range, we've seen telehealth usage drop dramatically, uh, somewhere in the 10 to 15% range. And while that's still well above pre-pandemic levels, it's a far cry from what we saw during the height of the pandemic. So why has this been the case? You know, what can be done about it? And, and what really what's next for virtual care? And to discuss the topic, I'm joined by Dr. William Morris. Uh, William is uh, the former executive medical director of Cleveland Clinic Innovations and Ventures, is a member of the Cleveland Clinic Board of Governors, and currently works at Google Cloud's healthcare life sciences solutions business. Will, thanks for joining us today. Absolute pleasure, Charles. So, so Will, you know, maybe you can share for us a, a bit about your background, you know, sort of maybe some of your time at Cleveland Clinic or before, and uh, you know, sort of how, how you got involved here. Yeah, so uh, it is a, somewhat of a circuitous story. I, I refer to myself as uh, the bent arrow. My background uh, was in biomedical engineering, so really, really kind of fascinated around systems, how things are managed and kind of systemness. Uh, uh, Went to med school um, and uh, trained in Boston, and then ultimately came to Cleveland Clinic because I was really, really fascinated around their um, idea of care, um, and it and it centers around a couple three things. Um, you know, one is is it was a employed model, meaning you know clinicians were not incentivized. We never received bonuses or any you know payment structures to do above and beyond. So as a hospitalist. I didn't get reimbursed to see more patients, do more procedures, you know, do things. I was really, really measured on one aperture, which is providing the best quality of care that is the most affordable. Um, so one is, you know, the practice itself was kind of from a system perspective tuned to that care delivery. I, I'd say three. Second was one of of innovation. So kind of through. You know, my background really interested in systems of care that supports the people in process, and obviously technology being one of them. And was lucky enough to uh, uh, be one of the first uh, CMIOs over uh, Cleveland Clinic, and then ultimately kind of the associate CIO over our clinical systems. So while we deployed it, uh, deployed an enterprise EMR. That was never kind of the single pane of glass that that ultimately kept our patients, um, you know, uh, our mind's eye towards what's the best experience for our patients. And so really sought smarter, better people than ourselves to kind of bring those experience in. And and one around our technology strategy was was one of partnerships. How do we actually bring the best and brightest? There's an embarrassment of riches in technology outside of healthcare and shame on us if we do not um, leverage those capabilities. The third kind of aspect from a systemness perspective was a laser focus on one, you know, kind of your metrics, your goal, your North Star, and that was the patient always. 
Um, and that really kind of it's instilled a degree of focus and clarity that I still use today, even while I'm not in you know specific healthcare delivery at Google. Um, it is my north star. It's what kind of keeps me up at night. It's what wakes me up in the morning. Um, and with that level of kind of clarity and focus, I think you're able to tackle things that otherwise are quote untackable and really kind of convene people to, to do great things. Um, during that time, I was blessed uh, uh, to work with an unbelievable aperture of, of great people, Cowan being one of them, uh, certainly technology company, and I was, was fascinated yet again by you know, what Google was doing and how they were considering these vexing challenges within healthcare in terms of, again, how do we deliver the best care for the lowest uh, lowest cost and make it affordable and universally accessible? So I gave up my stethoscope, so to speak. Um, although I still do virtual care on the side, so we'll talk about that. But to to join a, an unbelievable uh, team within Google, or actually even broadly within Alphabet, um, to really think about how we can be part of this journey as partners with. Uh, payers, providers, retail pharmacy, retail health, life science, and biotech. So I will pause there because it's a it's a boring soliloquy. But I guess what gets me going is is kind of systems of care because I think technology is an enablement, and we're talking about telehealth. It's great that we can do virtual visits, but it is a piece. I think you need to align the people and the processes to achieve the great value. Yeah, and then th- th- that's really. That's really helpful, and I, and I think it does set the stage here, right? Because you know, I think we tend to think of telehealth sort of in this vacuum, or you know, these kind of single kind of solutions that by the you know, and we we don't think of it in the whole often, right? Certainly, I think from the investment community side, sometimes we're looking at you know just a device or just a single drug, and not thinking how it fits in, in into the broader sort of delivery of care. You know, focusing here, let's say let's talk about telehealth a little bit, right? I thought it was so interesting because, you know, I, I've been covering uh, or following telehealth since, you know, nearly the start, right, going back into the early 2010s and, uh, you know, watch companies like Teladoc and, and Amwell come to the market or, or getting ready to come to the market and, and, and watching that utilization metrics, you know, slowly grow. And, uh, you know, I think, it, you know, started at 2%, you know, crept up to you know, low, you know, mid-single, upper-single digits. And, and, and I think everyone is pretty excited that, hey, look, this this seems to be getting some traction here. And then, uh, you know, the pandemic hits, right? And all of a sudden, next thing you know, we're at 80 90%, and everyone's scrambling. You're, you're hearing about it on TV everywhere. And by and large, you know, the experience that people had was positive, right? Everyone lauded the, the benefits of it. And, you know, my impression at the time was, this is great. You know, we're going to come out of it and we, we're going to have discovered a new modality to deliver care uh, in an, an effic- uh, effective and efficient way. But then, you know, <laughs> and next thing we know, like uh, uh, doors open and everyone, everyone kind of reverts back to the status quo. I, you know, what was your impression during that time? Uh, just a couple of years back and you know, maybe a little bit before that, you know, what you thought of telehealth and you know, what you saw during the pandemic and maybe your impression, you know, as we we're kind of exiting it. Yeah. So so pre-COVID, uh, I think that's going to be a new kind of pre-COVID and post-COVID um, <laughs> landmarks. Uh, um, but, but, but pre-COVID, I think, you know, early on in telehealth, it was kind of a, a, a solution looking for, for a problem. And, and I think a lot of that kind of slow uptake and 
gradual uh, uptake is is where you know people said, gosh, you know what? Um, there is value in patients, mental health patients who don't necessarily want to navigate your lovely parking garage or waiting room and find solace within the comfort of their own home. There is value in um, post-operative patients where actually the provider doesn't get more revenue neither does the facility. It's part of that global bundle where you can provide exceptional service, exceptional experience, and actually lower cost. Um, there was exceptional value where, where you were able to you know, triage patients virtually and get them you know, to the right care provider, right medication, right intervention, all through uh, telehealth. So at the clinic, we were very much not enamored, but, but saw the opportunities for us to uh, solve one of the more vexing issues that I think large systems are facing, which is access, um, despite these huge brick and mortar buildings, um, access is still formidable and difficult. And so we looked at telehealth as a means to do kind of three things. One is to open up access. Um, you know, it's the right experience for the right patient at the right time at the right cost. Two, I think it actually uh, opens up growth potential. So my colleague, uh, Dr. Peter Rasmussen, who led our uh, digital health at Cleveland Clinic, you know, he would see Virtually 99.9% of his his patients who came to him for neurovascular uh, interventions, and because all of the information can be digitized and he can come up with a plan and then see them in the OR where he really needs to obviously be face to face. And so, you know, we saw some really really innovative clinical practices that could grow with this powerful tool. And then I thought. You know, then there, the, the third opportunity was what are the things that we're doing today that needs to stop, right? How can I actually manage a population and proactively outreach to them as opposed to what is the industry normal? I will see you in uh, routine follow-up in three months, right? Everyone kind of has that knee-jerk, the dot phrase, the phrase in their note, I'll see you in three months, despite that if the patient needs to see you in three days or in three years, right? Because they're doing well. And yet we have this kind of mentality, at least in the face-to-face -face, of, of, of one glove fits all. So, you know, we built out the technology um, at scale, but I still think, you know, how do we actually address payment issues? How do I address workflow issues? Because you're still, you know, battling a busy clinic. Um, and how do I actually integrate that into a, a value system that makes sense for a health system, for a payer, and ultimately a patient? So, so we had the building blocks, and then COVID, COVID hit, right? I, I actually think of this like, you know, your your favorite uh, restaurant probably did take out, you know, once in a while, but then COVID hit, and and all of a sudden became the default mode. Well, you know, COVID kind of, you know, became that. Um, you know, forcing function that allowed us to kind of put aside, you know, status quo and, oh, well, we can't do, you know, telehealth and telehealth doesn't provide exceptional experience. It's not the same as sitting with, um, you know, um, a patient in the room in that experience. And, and I think now that it's kind of died down, I hope uh, we don't regress back to the status quo. I feel strongly that is, it is not the right thing to do for our patients. It's not the right thing to do as healthcare expenses go through the roof. Now, just to, if you build it, will they come, I think is, is a fool's errand. And so I think what's incumbent on all of us is how do we find the right use cases, the right 
incentive models, the right um, experiences that make sense. It's, it's a tool, it's not the rule, not everything should be recapitulated in a virtual experience. I think we need to rethink and reimagine kind of um, the very transactional um, healthcare experiences, right? I see you have a follow-up, um, I do stuff, um, and use virtual in other ways. And again, I tapped a little bit about, um, you know, chronic disease management and an ability to engage a member, titrate their meds, make sure that, you know, there's no barriers to access preemptively, as opposed to kind of what we're geared towards, which is we wait until the wheels come off and, and then you have to use, um, you know, a high cost, poor experience venue. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with you and I'd love to touch on that. And, and you know, you, you kind of talked about this, this amazing tool and and you hope that, it you know, people learn to utilize it. And, and yet we're not, right? Um, wh- why do you think that is? You know, why, why do you think it has regressed as much as it has? Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, I mean, there's a couple factors at play, uh, uh, you know, within the construct of uh, an academic medical center or, or a hospital, right? Right now, um, there are fiscal austerity issues, right? We They need to see patients, they need to support their, their mission. And so you kind of progress to what works, right? You regress to things that have always worked, which is a get them in fee-for-service scheduling. It's okay to have a three-month waiting period, right? That shows that you've got excess, you know, demand for your capacity. And, and you know, you can imagine that's, that's, that's uh, revered. I think as we move towards value-based care arrangements, you know, capitation full risk, where we need not you know, just provide care, but we have to provide the right care and we have to provide proactive care and we have to provide participatory, meaning that that the patient or the member um, feels engaged. I feel like those alignment strategies will happen. We're seeing a lot of telemedicine is certainly not dead. And I think it's, it's, it's being reimagined and, and redeployed in different venues. We're seeing this at least from a you know, Google perspective and some really, really insightful partnerships. Obviously, you know, the, the acquisitions of either CVS or Walgreens, you know, getting into that space where they don't want to just provide vaccination clinics and, um, you know, PPM and drug services, but they really want to provide holistic health and telehealth and access in that kind of consumer experience is exactly kind of those plays. Um, we're seeing this definitely within the payer community as they want to participate not only in just you know uh, an exquisite member experience, but how do they manage these costs and how do they you know provide a frictionless experience for their members um, that is uh, pleasurable and uh, achieves better health outcomes. Um, so I think we are we're going to see a, 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 a J point curve up um, in in kind of incentive aligned uses of telemedicine, um, you know, for, for patients. I think we see a lot of it, even with asynchronous care, and we, we might talk on kind of generative AI and, and that whole buzz. Um, but I do feel like, you know, we're in this perfect storm where we have unbelievable sensor data, we have unbelievable AI, ML, and insights. We have an alignment of kind of payment incentives to do the right thing for the patient. And then we have an alignment where the consumer actually demands this experience as they should. 
And I think, um, you know, with those, those four forces, we're going to move forward. And, you know, those who, uh, you know, want to regress to status quo, I think, are, are going to be in trouble. You know, you talk about these four forces. I mean, the, the patient one is, is kind of interesting. It's you need the patient also to kind of demand the service. And maybe what we're seeing to a certain extent is that patients, they're the ones reverting back, right? I mean, we kind of hear that from some of the hospitals we talk to, you know, the, the, when you ask why their telehealth usage is so low and they kind of say, well, we, there's no demand for it. You know, our patients want to come in and which kind of boggles my mind, right? I mean, I think, uh, you know, I was speaking with one health system and they're saying, yeah, you know, the average time a patient takes, you know, an hour and a half drive, uh, wait, you know, 30 minutes, you know, f- 15 minutes uh, visit and then they're driving another hour and a half home. So it's like five hours. You know how that how, you know you would think that that's not a great patient experience, yet you know it seems that in some cases, you know patient. Where where do you think that lies? You know how how do we edu- educate the patient to be more engaged and 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 see that there's other ways to to receive care? Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we got to meet the patient where they are. So I don't think it's uh, it, it, it's our job to create experiences that you know. That, that they don't want. Now, I, I question then, is it that they don't, they don't want telehealth or we're actually not providing the right telehealth, you know, experiences, right? Uh, you know, do I expect a telehealth visit to replace that therapeutic bond between a primary care physician and uh, a patient as the sole entity? Absolutely not, because there is such a degree of kind of, um, uh, therapeutic exchange in, in those physical moments that feels private and privileged and, and, and you're able to lay hands. I mean, there is a human connection that I think is an indelible. And, and so you don't kind of say that this is a tool that would replace any and all of that. Um, but certainly around chronic disease, when we see there's the ballooning costs of chronic disease, we know care variation is so large. So we know, you know, what what these costs are doing to employer plans and, and, and payers, but also the mortality and morbidity that's causing patients. And so we're seeing kind of these new entrants where they're providing services, not just telehealth service that says, hey, listen, you have heart failure, you know, ping me if you, you feel short of breath instead of going to the emergency room. I think that's too far down. It's, hey, we're going to be monitoring you. We're going to enable you and we're going to do outreach proactively um, because we want to, you know, we have your care interests at mind. Um, I, I do feel like members who have those conditions will will opt in because I think it, it you know, it, I think it's hard pressed for them to say, hey, listen, we want to replace your primary care physician, I think, you, or your cardiologist or whoever. I think that is that is not the approach. But um, if it's, hey, listen, we want to provide backstop services to prevent you from going into the emergency room or, you know, heaven forbid, having a complication or um, causing you kidney disease or eye disease because of your, your diabetes, poor control, I think that is good. Um, your education point is exactly right. I think we do, um, in, in, as a physician, a poor job kind of articulating the what. A lot of these chronic diseases are insidious. You don't feel that your blood sugar is high or you don't feel necessarily that you know you might be getting a little um, decompensated via heart failure. You don't feel your high blood pressure. And so I think our job to educate and engage is absolutely essential. And we need to do a better job articulating how these experiences 
translates to value back to the patient. Because otherwise it just feels like, hey, listen, we're, we're just trying to save a dollar by not letting you go to the emergency room. Like, that's not it. We're trying to keep you the healthiest and, and in the best condition. We want, you know, live, quality lives um, and, and quality life for our patients. So I, I do agree on the education, the engagement and kind of explaining the, the, the value story in the eyes of a patient, I think, is, is, is a real good opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a, a good point, right? I, you know, I think probably a lot of it is that, you know, I, I want to see my doctor. I don't want to see a random doctor. I, I, and so, you know, one of my, you know, one of my thoughts was, hey, you know, post this pandemic, the next real wave of adoption will be the provider because, you know, they can, you know, their patients want to see them and it gives them a new uh, way to do it. And, and even here, it seems, and, and that's where I don't know whether it's, uh, physician driven or, 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 or is it maybe, maybe more structural, right? You know, like, like how much does the fact that we don't have permanent rules around, uh, you know, telehealth, you know, the telehealth flexibilities and you know, provision of care across state lines, et cetera, uh, you know, how much of that you think is impacting sort of the, the health system's decisions on uh, enabling telehealth for physicians, or do you think is it that the the doctors they want to do this, but they're being told, hey, you know, we got to be a little careful here because we don't we don't know what the rules of the road are right now. I think all of those points are are correct. I mean, it, it is it is hard because it's hard, and it's hard because there are a, a multitude of kind of systems. Back to my original point of systems challenges that you have to kind of think about, and you know, again, if you build it, they will come. It is is not the right thing. I think you have to kind of understand and understand workflows. You know, get the alignment of the clinicians, get the alignment of the pairs, the patient. Otherwise, you know, the other way is you know, when a, a change management is really really tough, I'm going to nibble away on the outside, right? So lifestyle meds. We've seen companies that just you know, listen, we're going to go after this this demographic and this use case and it's perfect for telehealth and we'll carve away. Um, that, that's fine. Uh, I think they're going to have a hard time then kind of, you know, eroding in, if you will, to, to really tackle the, what I would say or not, the, like the transactional, like I've got an earache, let me go do this, but more of the meat of healthcare delivery. And I think it's going to take, it's going to take a village. It's going to take an alignment with the care team, with the patients, with the payers, um, to all kind of figure out, these are all tools um, in our in our in our uh, toolbox, and, and where is the right tool for the right problem? You know, at the right time, at the right cost. Um, so it was kind of a, a mediocre answer. Um, it's complicated, but doing nothing and just going back to you know what I'm going to close out my telehealth and I'll just here's my schedule and I'll just see you. I think is not the right thing. I I feel comforted that I, I don't see a regression to that point. I, I think we actually have a new normal. And out of that new normal, I do believe that the winds winds of change will be at our back. You know, it, it's interesting, you, you brought up earlier, right? New ways of deploying telehealth, and maybe it's not through the traditional provider network. And uh, you, you talked about, you know, drug retailers like CVS and Walgreens. Uh, it's also, yeah, it seems like in this vacuum where, like, I would have thought 
uh, traditional providers would have stepped up and say, "Hey, we we want to provide this service because it, it's a conduit right into our into our system, and we keep our patients." Uh, you've you've seen payers really kind of step into this void. You know, you, you have United Health launching a virtual platform, and and Aetna as well. And uh, you know, what, what you know, what do you see their role? Because you know, right now, right that that means they're looking to deliver the clinical care. Uh, for their members and, and kind of, uh, you know, provide that experience for their members. Where is that? What is the role that you think they'll be playing here? I think they, they're going to play a formidable role. I mean, they have uh, unbelievable scale. Um, they understand their members' needs. They have, they have data. They have insights and knowledge. They certainly have capital. But, you know, they can do it at scale a lot uh more judiciously than say an individual system because there isn't just that there, there's it's such a fractured market on the care delivery side versus kind of uh, the universe of, of, of payers even even the independents are, are coming together and thinking about these so i think that's exciting i think you know a coalition of the willing kind of thing how do we take out you know non-value experiences how do we avoid patients going to the emergency room for routine things how do we help our members get evidence-based guidelines um you know the variation of care uh is is you, you can't argue against it right you can't argue that you know you can't look at someone's eyes and we're like oh in the u.s we, we always provide evidence-based care and exceptional care because we don't i mean the numbers don't lie and some of our outcomes if you look at fetal, uh, fetal mortality is, is is abysmal and so doing the same thing is is not on the table um so i actually applaud the new entrants i don't have a horse in this race i i think that you know those that master data and those that master the member or the patient experience will really place a challenge to the status quo incumbents you know do you do you think though that it, the way care is being delivered needs to significantly change. And you kind of brought up the example that we we can't go back to doctors having a full schedule and you know, patients waiting in the waiting room. You, you talked about this new normal. So so maybe right pre-pandemic we were what mid single digit kind of usage and, and and actually if you think about it, we're double that today. So right if you if you didn't have pandemic maybe we would all looked at this number and said this is great. Uh, but we can see where it could be, you know, this from this new normal, like wh- where where do we go now then? You know, h- how do we how do we drive that further then? Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, we need to continue to experiment. And then when we have something, it's it's got to scale because there's there's so many little niche pilot solutions, point solutions, one offs. I think, you know, at, at the detriment um you know, one of the challenges I think is if you if you believe this entire universe, um, you know, you could imagine that a single patient with type two diabetes, you know, could have thirty or so little point solutions, all kind of you know gobbling for attention units, right? And and so there has to be a cohesive member experience or patient experience that makes it easy, you know. I'm not saying that we have to solve for all the complexity, but it has to be invisible to the patient, right? The patient wants something that is, that feels like it's it's coordinated and aligned to to, to their value. They don't want, you know, a, a, a phone full of apps and reminders that 
you know, all have different nuances and different agendas, if you will. I, I think I think taking things that work and then bringing them to scale is going to be kind of the next journey. And, and we're seeing that kind of in the in the in, in these in the startup space. You know, there's a lot of kind of coalescing of of kind of these point solutions into something that is holistically aligned to the patient. The other thing I think is is you know, and, and I don't have a solution for it, but it's just a reality is that, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, patients and consumers, it's an issue of trust. Um, they trust their provider or health system. They, they, there is a inherent uh, brand, if you will, that is really, really special and, uh, you know, important. I, I love the model at Cleveland Clinic because we weren't you know, we're incentive, right? I felt like that was the cleanest way that I could look someone in the eye and say, this is the right thing to do. And I'm not getting, you know, a dollar or, or, or you know, saved or, or earned on that. Um, but it's not, certainly it's not the only model. And I do feel like the physicians, the nurse practitioners, the caregivers out there do have an unbelievable leg up, which is the relationship. And so how these, these new entrants you know, think about the member and think about the engagement. They have to take in, you know, take in consideration. How do I capture that ethos, if you will, and and bring it? Um, you know, because I don't think a, a, a faceless app will ever kind of replace uh, that kind of therapeutic alliance between, you know, um, a, a patient and, and their provider. How, how do we enable that and make it better, I think, is the real opportunity. So, Or, or even bring it together, right? I mean, it, to, which is why, because to your point, right, I think that relationship really is important and, and you, you see it. I know from my own experience, right, uh, you know, I've used both telehealth, seeing somebody just quickly and and, and then still go to, go to my own doctor and and, you know, and it's funny when I talk to him, it's, do you offer telehealth? And he's like, well, you know, I did it for a bit, but, and it's like, oh, you know, okay. But, but, and, but, you know, I'm still with them, right? Just text me if you need something. And then when you text them, they're like, great, come in tomorrow. I'll, get, I'll see you tomorrow. So, you know, I get it. <laughs> exactly. It's a start though, right? At least he's texting. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where it feels like, right, you look at all this universe of digital health and, and a lot of what they're offering seems quite interesting, but it's, it's sort of like, but it sits apart from this traditional healthcare infrastructure, right? And it's, you know, is the answer then the ones that can kind of integrate themselves and help connect maybe in a, in a more efficient way or a more engaging way, the provider to their patient? Is that sort of the, you know, the path that, you know, we should look at? I certainly feel that. I think that's why I, I came to, to Google is, is you know, Google uh, and, and cloud, we're not going to get into the provision of care because that's not our core book of business. But what our core book of business is, is managing the world's data and making it universally accessible and useful and secure. I look at our opportunity to enable those, those things we talked about through the lens of, you know, platforms that can capture these disparate data sources, harmonize them and make them secure, but then make them, you know, accessible to those care systems, care providers who are doing that last mile. And so from, from our Google health strategy, you know, we view our, 
our job to enable those men and women who are providing those exceptional care experiences or payers who are trying to create the next generation of care experiences or you know new new uh, or uh, you know existing uh, uh, retail health solutions where they're trying to kind of you know ensure that if they provide unbelievable diabetic care for that patient that that local primary care is getting that right information and they are you know well informed and part of this community you know the exciting thing is is stitching together this this data fabric that um, allows the patient to be in control of their data and then also allows them to have a, a, a frictionless experience as they kind of um, I don't want to say bounce, but navigate around, um, you know, these these new experiences. And maybe just following up on that, I mean, is that, are you saying, you know, so the, the mission that you guys are looking at right now, where are we in terms of this open data fabric, right? Because, you know, healthcare has, you know, been born and raised on these, you know, proprietary systems that, were used to be closed and you know we've been fighting for years to you know uh, interoperability is like a uh, it's kind of a made-up word just to try to try to connect all these things together and I, I guess the question really is you know how, how close are we to to what you guys are what you're talking about here uh, we, are, we are closer I mean I think it's uh, it this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? Interoperability is, is, is buzzword bingo. It's, it's a lot of work. There's policy, there's, you know, a belief in open standards uh, that, you know, a, a rising tide raises all boats. We, we, we uh, come from a position where we think exceptional and secure experiences controlled by the, the patient and, and the, the systems or customers needs to operate and in a transparent fashion that is secure, that it meets all of the security compliance, but also is not one to be locked into a proprietary schema um, because it's just, it, it's not the right thing to do. Um, and if we think about this new world of an ecosystem where, you know, who knows who's inventing the next experience or the next sensor or the next drug discovery, you know, our job is to level the playing field and ensure that you know we you know we don't create silos or blocks to uh, you know that type of innovation and work. Um, are we there yet? No, I mean I don't think there's ever going to be the mission uh, accomplice sign if you if you want to go back in history. I, I think it is a relentless forward progress event that just requires, um, you know, constant, you know, working with the government, working with um, uh, software companies, working with e even our, our, our competitors. Um, you know, we are all striving for this and um, it's, it's hard work, but I think, again, going back to my, my principles, you know, if the patient's at the center, um, the duty and the obligation become clear and, and we just need to, you know, to continue to do that. Um, and, and we're seeing, we're, we're beginning to kind of, you know, see cracks and, and opportunities. We're seeing, you know, unbelievable collaborations and data collaborations between payers and the providers in, in ways that they're leveraging open standards that can, you know, de-risk and, and bring in exceptional and unbelievable experiences. So I am beyond optimistic and, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a marathon, but, you know, totally in it. 
you know, I, I, I hear you on the marathon part, right? It's, it's, the question is like, are, are we at mile five or are we at mile 15? <laughs> it, it feels like we're still quite a ways from the finish line. Yeah, no, no we, I think we're, we're on our way. I, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not certainly not, you know, 24. We're not, uh, you know, some days it feels like we're on heartbreak Hill. If you're, if your listeners are Bostonians, but um, you know, I think we are more than halfway. I, I believe, like you know, um, we have standards, we have policies in place. It's it's getting them disseminated uh, and and deployed. I think that last part of the race, or you know, race is is how are we creating value for the patient or the payer or the provider, and how do we actually leverage? You know, it's great if you build it, they will come. You know, you have to start thinking, how do you stitch all of these things together to ultimately drive value? And I think that's that's the exciting part. You know, you, you touched on before and, and I and I always kind of fall to that as well. I, I think about it a lot, which is, you know, the, the way our healthcare system is set up, you know, you can think of it as reactive. Right. You come in, I go in because I don't feel well. Right. And then I'm diagnosed with something. And then there's a treatment plan to try to fix that whereas it is you know to your to your point earlier right that we have the technologies it seems to be more proactive uh so that you as a provider we can uh you know intervene earlier uh and, and maybe prevent really the most costliest outcomes um you know maybe talk a little bit about that and uh, you know, touched on a little earlier, right? Uh, you know, the, the role of AI in this to be able to maybe triage earlier. Um, you know, where where are we at that with that? Well, let's accept a couple realities, even with the data that we have today. I mean, you know, you kind of have to, you know, um, I'm a pragmatist. Like, have we mastered even the data in front of you? And the answer is no, right? Um, uh, you know, I'll play out a scenario, you, like you said, you don't feel well, you show up and, you know, at that point, the clock begins. But if, you know, he or she, you know, clinician were to look at that chart or understand, you know, there's probably signals in that in that record that they would say, hmm, you know what this, hey, you know what, Charles, what you're telling me makes sense because look at this, you know what, you, you know, you've been uh, slowly gaining weight and, um you know, uh, you know, your, your creatinine has been kind of creep, creeping. And so it's there, there's a lot of kind of the signal and the noise. And, and, and the question I always have is, do we need more hay? Like, do we need more sensor data or do we actually need insights and AI to actually find the needle in the haystack? Um, so it's a little bit of both. I think um, I think we have an opportunity to master the data that we have in front of us. And it's not just the EHR, right? Social determinants of health, right? We can identify patients in socially socially economically challenging areas or health disparity areas that have food deserts and we can play out the scenario we know what will happen um, in terms of health equity outcomes or access to care and yet we don't do anything we wait until something happens and and, and then we react um, so one is it's great that we can cry you know we have to create insights and ai but if the ai is just sitting there it's got to activate someone it's got to activate a system of care to proactively do something um, you know, these alerts in the, in the, in electronic health record are great when you open up the chart, but you know, it doesn't fire or doesn't fire to anyone in particular, if the data had come in three hours or two, three days before, right. It's, it's, it's a very time, 
um, uh, a temporal uh, challenge. And so we've got to kind of think about, yes, it's important to get data, data into insights, insights into actual, you know, insights. But then what you also need is the people in the process to take that, you know, football and run it down the field, right? You, you, Otherwise, what we just do is we create alerts and we automate our broken process, which just gets us broken faster. Is that an incentives issue, right? I mean, it's an incentive and it's a workflow issue, right? I mean, your busy primary care physician, you know, God bless, is 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 working, you know, at one hundred and twenty percent, just for who's in front of me right now and transaction, right? They're not asking questions. Um, it's difficult to say of my. 2,500 patients, who's at risk and who, who should come in. And, 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 and that's a real challenge. And so I think these opportunities to think about population health and predictive analytics that are, that are um, you know, so unbelievable care coordinators and nursing, I think pharmacists and clinical, clima, clinical pharmacists are another complete untapped rock star clinician that can be leveraged to help us with complex med titration, med management, med, you know, uh, titrations. Uh, so, so I do, uh, long winded answer. I think AI is a piece or finding the, the, the signal and the noise. I think there's also of who in the care team needs to be activated. Um, and then in the incentive, if I did that, how do I, you know, what's, what's the value? How do I cover that, that cost of care, right? How do I recoup that effort? Cause it is resource. Um, and so these uh, risk model agreements where there's incentives to do the right thing and do it proactively, I think are, are key pieces. Have you seen anyone try that, you know, re kind of remodel the workflow where we're only calling in the patients where we're seeing signals? And, and so it's not like we're setting up routine appointment. Obviously, people will come in because they have a problem, but, you know, to, to track it and, and reshuffle the way we run an office? I think we've we've definitely seen a lot of examples of these um, in in some of these excited you know companies and MA plans are 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 doing a lot where they're engaging the member and trying to keep them off the curve, if you will. I think again, this model of well, I have one solution, everyone should have it is is wrong, right? A uh, healthy twenty something doesn't need that kind of you know horsepower behind them. If if they're doing all right, then routine follow up is just fine. But perhaps that twenty something has a chronic disease and needs that. So so I think it's it's the right solutions for the right patient. I think that kind of that matching game needs to happen too. It's not just a model of care or a solution. It's the right solution for the right problem at the right time at the right cost. Um, and you need to have all of that kind of consolation. Uh, again, yes, there are examples of these and unbelievable um, examples in terms of outcome. How they then stitch together with all of the other kind of care delivery uh, aspects because people are, are, are varied. And how do you do that at scale, I think, is is the exciting next chapters. You, you talked about generating insight. It's got to lead to action to someone to actually do something. You know, obviously, a lot of buzz around, you know, AI and like chat GPT, where, I mean, do you see a world where an AI can be trained to provide that first level of triage, like that urgent care visit, like I have a, you know, I have a rash and, you know, I, I can take a picture and I can send it, you know, is there a future where we don't even need the, the clinician to, to deal with that kind of minor issue and really save that resource, you know, for something more complicated? 
Listen, I think any you know anything is 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 possible in the future. Is it here today? No, you know, no. And I think we need to buttress reality and you know, kind of crawl, walk, run. Um, you know, I just came back from from Hims, which is you know a very very large health uh, 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 conference around kind of uh, technology and you know uh, large language models or generative AI is certainly um, captured. Um, you know, the zeitgeist of the moment, right? It's, it's fascinating because it's creative. It's, it's kind of interactive. Um, it's a huge leap of faith to say then, hey, listen, this, this magical, um, you know, model, foundational models is, gonna, is, is going to supplant the clinician. I, 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 you know, someone a lot smarter than I had said, you know, um, you know, AI won't, or these capabilities won't replace the physician, but it, uh, the physicians who use AI and use these tools will certainly replace those who, who don't. And I, and I think there's a, a subtle degree of, of, of truth to that. I think these are, again, powerful tools and experiences that um, I'm optimistic for. I'm, I, I also have a degree of trepidation in terms of really kind of the groundfulness and truthfulness, responsible AI. Um, that needs to happen, right? I mean, these are patients' lives. Even something as benign as, hey, having a generative AI, you know, give me a, um, you know, a physical therapy routine, you know, can impact a patient um, in in a, in, a, in a way that we don't know um, the, the unintended consequence. And I think that's incumbent on us to be, you know, in this space optimistic, but not complicit and stupid. Um, and so we're very much, and again, this isn't just a Google thing, um, you know, but we published this in 2017 before, you know, we wrote the Transformer paper um, that, you know, it is incumbent on all of us to think about these responsible AIs, particularly with, with, um, with healthcare. And, you know, we have agnostic um, AI principles, but, you know, respecting science literature, always with a human in mind, you know, making sure we, we capture issues like bias, um, really, really understanding regulatory compliance, security, privacy, like these are things that are just top of mind and, and have to be solved. Um, and, and again, I'm excited, um, but I think it requires a lot of smart people, uh, smarter people than myself, a whole community, and not just within the tech, tech space to really think thoughtfully and carefully around this. So at the end of the day, technology enables exceptional clinical care for patients because we all know it, it's not perfect now. It's, it's in fact pretty broken if you, know, you think about your own experience. But we don't want to cause harm, absolutely not, and we have to do the right thing. And so I think this will be a brave new chapter is the kind of the hype around this and, and the uh, imagination. It's great that you can write a, write a limerick. Um, you know, we could turn this entire chat into, into iambic pentameter and, and Bard could do that. That's great. But this is about patient care and this is, you know, really requires the respect and rigor that we would do any drug touching a patient or any procedure. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, uh, this is this has all been great. And maybe just to throw one last question to you. You, you, you kind of talked about you think we're more than, you know, we're more than halfway there and uh, obviously very optimistic about the future. You know, where do you see then, you know, maybe the next five, 10 years? You know, how, do, how do you envision what the, the future patient encounter Will look like yeah oh, i love it well so let's focus on the patient encounter because it's a it's it's a ubiquitous 
pain point, not just from a clinician, but actually, you know, from a patient perspective, you sit down with a provider, even sit down with a nurse. And I guarantee you, I'm not looking in your eye. I'm, I'm looking to try to, um, you know, and again, this is not a hit to the EHRs. Um, there's a lot of data in there. It's, it's data dense, information poor, meaning there's a lot of, you know, a lot of pieces of data, but I have to use my cognitive workflow to kind of paint a picture and read all of these data analysts to kind of get an idea of, of what is going on with you and what do I need to do next? Um, as opposed to having that information synthesized and presented um, and packaged that is relevant to the issue at hand. So I, I do feel like in the next couple of years, we are going to have um, the ability to at least enable a nurse or the provider or even the pharmacist um, who today may just see that one med, but may not see the entire 360 you know, uh, picture. They might have access to the data, but they don't have the time. Um, so how do we, uh, you know, leverage um, technology to surface the right information in the right format, um, you know, to to the provider. Um, I think things like ambient voice and, and, and huge leaps and bounds around kind of speech, uh, speech, but then summarization is, is really exciting. And I think that's um, that's awesome because it's less time that I'm typing and more time I'm listening and going back to um the original hypothesis will telehealth replace all no we we love the physical encounter great can we make the physical encounter even better not just the telehealth and i think the answer is yes um so i want to give back time to the provider i want to give back time to the patient actually as they kind of navigate that experience and then the last one i think is is all of the the byzantine kind of um games that happen on the back end between payer and provider are beginning to dissolve. And we're seeing some tremendous partnerships um, around, hey, listen, if we have this information and we can auto adjudicate a, a, a payment, a claim, or that patient will know what it's going to cost and have trans transparency. Um, so I am really, really optimistic of kind of the coalescence of, of the players. And at the end of the day, um, making the patients life better, but their experience and, and, and ergo the, the, those who are providing the care, their experience better too. Well, th th this was fantastic. You know, I think a great way to kind of end it here and uh, really the focus on the patient. And, uh, you know, want to thank you for, for joining us on this podcast and uh, really sharing your thoughts. And I uh, uh, want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode and I uh, hope you tune in for future ones. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of TD Cowan Insights.